Do you feel sensitive? You probably need a sound sensitivity isolator from the 1960s. If you misuse these things, they turn everything into static. It's a really fun little old radio utility, especially when you misuse it. Let's misuse sound sensitivity. So here's the uh, hypersensitivity. It goes off like that. That's fun little sound. Fun little sound sensitivity. I'm gonna put that sensitivity right about there. Right about there. I'm gonna put that sensitivity right about there. I'm trying to. Yeah, you want to. I mean, you gotta learn to solve your own problems. You gotta learn to solve your own problems. Pretty cool. Seems like both those buttons are a little scratchy. Both those buttons are a little scratchy. <laughs> so this is cool. You can just kind of instant static on call right there. This is very, very cool. Neat. There we are. We got some wind last night. Pretty fun. You can probably hear wind on the microphone here today. So we are at the third update here for the other scenes inventory report. And uh, this is a part of the podcast that I'm increasingly trying to get more casual with. I think I've been a little uptight the first two, but kind of in a fun way. But the other scenes inventory report is a archive that I'm doing on my website, ep.tc, which is an effort to upload and discuss as many issues of John Wilcox's other scenes that I have. Other scenes is a very formative, very influential counterculture, psychedelic, uh, pro-drug, pro-politic, pro-activist, pro-earth, pro-world, <laughs> pro-human, uh, paper from the 60s and 70s that influenced uh, punk, influenced a bunch of stuff that John made, and in an attempt to do uh, a biography on John's work, I became more exposed to other scenes and just fell in love with it. And so not a lot of people know about other scenes in this current environment. And so the other scenes inventory report is an effort to every time I do an episode of Spoken Word with Electronics, do about three or four issues of other scenes and discuss them. And last episode I went a little long on two items of the two that I didn't discuss they got bumped to this this one and they're really wonderful so if you go to ep.tc slash os or ep.tc slash other scenes you'll see all the previous other scenes issues that have been uploaded and the two that were not there last last time are now up there and here I'll tell you about them uh, the first is a issue of Liberty magazine which is from 1955 and very, uh, very cool item. It is an interview with Marilyn Monroe that John interviewed when he was beginning his career coming to America. He arrived in America in 1954, coming from England, where he worked for uh, the, the, uh, the now uh, 
horrifying uh, Daily Mail, and uh, I don't think it was as terrible then, but he came to America and quickly got a job with Canada's Liberty Magazine. And at Liberty Magazine, he worked uh, doing celebrity interviews and, and talking with a bunch of uh, wild characters. And one of those interviews was with Marilyn Monroe. And the reason why he got the interview is because he was in New York and Seven Year Itch was coming out. <laughs> it's the funniest comedy since laughter began. Of a wife who spent the summer away and a husband who stayed home to play and play and play. Hey, wait a minute. With Marilyn Monroe soaring to new heights as the screen's most lovable laugh getter. Don't talk. Relax. Go limp. Like this? It's perfectly safe. Nobody will ever find out. Well, where shall I sleep? And she was in New York, and so they just connected John with her, and she spent a day with John. They drank brandy and got drunk, and uh, it's actually a wonderful interview, though. Opens up with a uh, compelling line about her being terrified. fun to read John be a very straightforward interviewer. And if you're a Hollywood collector, of which there are many, this is a damn wonderful uh, Marilyn Monroe rarity. And so the scans of that magazine, the Liberty magazine, are now available on the site. One thing about the actual copy that is uploaded, this is interesting, is it's John's personal copy. And it's a good insight into how many people who write for publications store their material because I've seen this with a lot of reporters and friends. If you go and see the scan, it has a giant paperclip on it. I have the Liberty Magazine here in the box of things and the, the paperclip, uh, there are two paperclips, are rusted and sort of, you know, any attempt to remove those paperclips would destroy the document. We're talking about a, you know, 70-year-old piece of paper here. <laughs> That's so crazy. A oh, 65-year-old piece of paper. Paperclip. Paperclip. A lot of times, contributors to publications don't care about the publication beyond their contribution, and uh, so they will put the paperclip on the cover. Paperclip. And merge whatever pages are in between the cover and their article. And John did that. Paperclip. And so basically the first paperclip. Paperclip. Uh, kind of glues together the first 16 or so pages. And then there's a second paperclip for the jump, which <laughs> I just find this very funny. It's an interesting magazine, Liberty, too. Anyway, uh, the second paperclip goes right to the jump of the conclusion of John's interview. So uh, there's no real ability to scan the rest of the magazine, but you'll get the cover, John's very cool interview, the jump, and then uh, a few extra pages that I could get in without destroying the document. And you'll find that for our first item in the other scenes inventory report here. Paperclip. Also a plug, if you want to support this endeavor, Thank you. you can do a couple things. One, you can just tell people about the damn show. Tell people about the show. That's, that's enough. Thank you. Two, you can also buy a couple things. Thank you. 
at eptc.bandcamp.com. You will find a bunch of spoken word with electronics recordings there and a bunch of other stuff that I've created. And then if you go to ep.tc slash OS or other scenes, you will find a link to the John Wilcock comic book, which you can buy very cheap in PDF for 10 bucks. Or very exotic and beautiful, a book for about $45. But it is 225 uh, wonderful pages, heavily researched, completely unique comic book. Took 12 years to draw and uh, research. I think you'll love it. Paperclip. In terms of other unique material, we have item number two, which also is bumped from last week. And that is a very cool, very weird other scenes sex supplement. And I won't even make an attempt to quote this thing. It's <laughs> it's weird what anthropology can do because John just sort of collected personal ads in the Los Angeles Free Press the adults only personal ads for I think a week, maybe two weeks and move them around into a, I guess just a, a collection of inappropriate desires and requests for companionship. And it's from the peak of sex ads, you know, when people it's maybe about five or 10 years into obscenity laws changing where you could freely write a really let's just call it a lonely hearts column <laughs> but it might be i really love big feet or some very uh direct statement about wanting to find satisfaction with a stranger and other kinds of things i'm being a little chaste here in the way i'm describing it but the other scene sex supplement is in no way uh, restrained. It's just a matter of fact, hilarious and you'll learn a lot of words if you look at it. Anybody interested in sex anthropology or, you know, humans, if you're an alien and you're like, what are humans like? How do they seek out fertility inquiries to other people? I think that's what it is about. I'm a space alien. I'm from, you know, so not sure really what some of those words were about, but <laughs> anyway, it's a very, very wild piece and it's about eight pages, maybe 16 of just sex ads. And I appreciate John. So that my cat is hearing me talk about sex ads and it's just shaking her collar. Anyway, so I promised last week that I would talk about my own history writing a sex ad. I wrote two sex ads, and they were both experimental, I guess. But I was also lonely as hell, so it also could be, you know, conveniently ex experimental because I was about 19 or 20 in Chicago, and just uh, Chicago's a tough town, and I wasn't meeting people. And so a friend of mine and I uh, decided to write some sex ads just to see who would reply to which kind of sex ads we wrote in uh, a Chicago paper. It might have been The Reader or something else. I can't remember. And one was super polite. You know, probably the most sincere sex ad was the honest one, the really kind one. So we created this kind person. It's basically, I just want to respect you and I'm lonely and I care about people and I would love to get to know you. 
I think we got like one or two replies to it. And the way it would work is there would be a mailbox or a phone box that you would that would be attached to the sex ad. And so there was some privacy built into that. So, you know, so you could be somewhat honest in your listing and it wouldn't be any personal contact information. But we got like one or two kind of pitiful or or maybe even pitying replies. And then there was <laughs> then there was Larry our other character and he was an asshole and Larry just wanted to uh, and so it was like uh, I think the, the headline the way sex ads work is you have a headline and then you have you know about four lines of copy and I think it was like you are awful or something like that was our headline for Larry and it's like you're miserable you're reading this you're a piece of shit let me continue to insult you just terrible lines like that and we got flooded with people who really wanted to meet Larry. And what I remember most about that was one, four or five double-sided ballpoint pen written, handwritten note on loose leaf from a person who represented themselves at the time as transsexual, but I guess you, but not I guess, but you would now refer to it as transgender or any other appropriate term, but at the time in the 90s, it was transsexual. And also, in an operating sense, it makes sense transsexual, homosexual, heterosexual. That's the way it worked back then. All respect to everybody. But anyway, uh, this person just <laughs> unloaded a personal story onto Larry of all their incredible challenges and sadness and, you know, battles with everything from their parents to the world, you know, uh, and it was really bizarre how Larry in this huge insult was the trigger point to make this other person just trust or not even trust. I don't know. I and mean, we were like confused. We were 19 and we were confused at the, the depth of honest humanity that came out of this five page ballpoint pen written note to the worst human that we could invent. <laughs> I mean, I can't even remember how terrible Larry was in the classified ad, but it was basically like, you are awful. You're a piece of shit, you lousy asshole. Write to me, I won't even write back. What the fuck are you doing even reading this? Kind of stuff like that. And that was Larry. I think Walter or something was our, and no, we had a nice name for the nice guy, but I can't even remember the nice guy because nobody remembers nice guys. I've been a nice guy. Still am, I think. I think if you listen to the show, you're like, well, you're a nice guy. I believe very much in being kind to people. And I've known a lot of Larrys. And Larry got one hell of a note from a very complicated person. And I just remember feeling a <laughs> responsibility to reply to the person, but not knowing at all how to do it. And that's my memory of being 19 and stepping into the waters of personal sex ads. And if you want to see the high point peak of that, you should go to the other scenes inventory and see John's collection of sex ads from 1973, which is the a collection of Los Angeles Free Press. And remember, Los Angeles. Oh my gosh. What are they doing there? You know, how do you stand out from other Los Angeles residents in your sex ad? Text only, no photo. You know, I mean, the. <laughs> 
you got to bring a lot of Hollywood to it. And so that's an amazing, very unique document. Moving on, we have item number three, which is Other Scenes, issue number four. So we're getting close to having uh, most issues one through 10 here in the archive. I've enjoyed sort of doing it in a kind of a random way. And this is a really cool issue for the actual history of the underground press movement itself. Right on the front cover of the issue, we have a big headline that says the underground press syndicate members hold first meeting. And this is sort of issue number four is sort of the beginning of John thinking, you know, I want this thing to look pretty good. And the logo on other scenes has, it's kind of silly, you know, especially when I tell you one detail about it. It's now a quaint house with a smokestack and out of the smokestack of the house is a uh, puffy little letters for other scenes, O-T-H-E-R-S-C-E-N-E-S. They all have, they're all clouds of smoke coming from the smokestack. Then to the far right of it is a, uh, a rolling paper logo. So, you know, you get the hint. But right below that, you get a uh, line that says, Logo by Ed Ruska. Logo by Ed Ruska. If you know anything about pop art, you're familiar with that name, E-D-R-U-S-C-H-A. If I'm not pronouncing that correctly, I'm sorry, Ruska, but it's, I'm pretty sure it's Ruska. I mean to say, Ed Ruscha. Ed Ruscha. I mean to say, Ed Ruscha. And he's one of the more dynamic and interesting sign-based pop artists. Like, uh, you look up at Ed Ruska, Ed Ruscha images, you'll see some pretty wild shit that I love. Ed Ruscha would do great vanishing point shots of buildings with their signage, and the signage is all you would see really in terms of detail beyond a uh, sort of a uh, modernist or weird kind of representation of the building. Most of the attention in his work goes in terms of the signage, so you know, like Honk, Standard Oil, Hollywood, stuff like that. He's a typography based pop artist and very, very pretty. Which makes it sad that, you know, he probably got, uh, he was probably a friend with John and he gave him the other scenes logo and it's probably the least interesting piece of work <laughs> from Ed Ruscha I've ever seen. But it begins sort of John's connection to pop artists right there or demonstrates John's connection to the art world because I don't know of any other underground paper that had a uh, million dollar pop artist right there. I'm doing the uh, logo, but the most interesting part of this issue, other scenes issue number four, is it's just a really good time capsule for underground papers in that moment. I kind of think of Evergreen Review, and I think it was Evergreen Review number two talked about the new poets of the world, and and uh, talked about, and it had like Ginsberg's Howell and a bunch of other beat poets at the moment. This is just as significant this issue of Other Scenes number four for the underground press movement because it's a complete survey of underground press papers at that moment. And it's super, super cool for that. If you are writing or working with underground papers right now, this one issue could tell you, you know, this is a thesis. It could tell you everything that was going on up to that point in uh, April 1967. And it includes a meeting of the underground press syndicate which was 
once again, the Underground Press Syndicate was sort of a collection of papers that allowed each paper to share content with each other. This bypassed the need to get uh, copyright permissions or anything like that. You could just use the damn stuff. And it was an amazing, amazing idea that really did allow for the sharing of information in a time where we were really interested as a country in fighting the Vietnam War in terms of people being enlisted and having to, by threat of being jailed, you know, either go to jail or, or put your body at risk in, in war and die. And a lot of people died. And there needed to be some sort of network to share information easily across the country, you know, and this was the Underground Press Syndicate. This was something that John helped create. And so this issue is sort of talking about how successful it's been for about a year and the incredible growth of papers. And it's a very, very good read. There is some wonderful gossip in there, too. On page two is a stab from and to the Village Voice to John. Uh, read the uh, John Wilcock biography for the full Village Voice scoop. But there is right there, John posts a letter from Ed Fancher. It says, John, this is on uh, Village Voice Stationery. John, I have read your newsletter and see that you are continuing to lie about me and the Village Voice. Paperclip. Paperclip. I certainly think that this is the end of any kind of relationship between us. Signed in what looks like big fat marker, Ed Fancher. So that's uh, pretty wild stuff that's just sort of included. Oh, also check out one, one of the uh, points of the other scenes, number four, is it talks about the San Francisco Oracle. San Francisco Oracle didn't stick around very long, but man, those issues are really wild. If you wanna just sort of look at like high point, newspaper-based psychedelic art, that stuff is great. Very, very beautiful. And uh, the Oracle sort of introduced ideas about not caring at all about registration or overlapping colors. It kind of embraced the idea of stuff going wrong in the printing press. And the issues themselves are really, really intense visual things to look at. Just visual fun. I don't know if the content is as good as the images, but uh, the Oracle is... Uh, represented in other scenes number four and if you've never been introduced to it it's a good introduction part of the part of john's transition from the village voice which he helped co-found and obviously betray or feel betrayed by is his move to the east village other and there's a page on the east village other and walter Boart. there's a really wild little cartoon about the east village other in there and Ends with a lovely photo of Thule Kupferberg of the Fugs. Oh, I wanted to point out also another scene's inventory, uh, other scene's number four there. Uh, one of the one of my favorite papers of all the papers is International Times from London. I think they're the most sort of mentally intense. Like there's something very psychic about that paper, and it's represented. International Times has always just delighted me. I love it. And there's just pretty much any paper that is mentioned in the other scenes, number four there, is worth uh, spending a few weeks just sort of looking into every single one that's listed, even the really small, obscure ones. I, uh, I'm really happy to have this issue on the, uh, in the archive. Our uh, final piece for this other scenes inventory report is issue number six 
from May 1967. And the art director has changed from Ed Ruska. I mean to say Ed Ruscha to William Beckman Esquire. I would always like to sign my name with Esquire. I think that would be really exciting. And this one has a really lovely uh, piece of uh, adult material right on the cover. It says twin postcard bought at a Paris flea market. And it looks like a uh, picture of, uh, I'm gonna guess it's an antique photo of two women uh, powdering their bodies. And uh, it's really sweet. It's, it's for couples, that photo. Um, this is another, yeah, I'm, let, me, let me read this issue and get back to you with some thoughts on it. I'll be right back. Other scenes, issue number six, introduces uh, John's movement into uh, being more of an international paper. And uh, the subject around the front page is Paris. It says here, though, that Paris is no longer Paris. Its underground, as well as its official scene, is undergoing painful and profound changes. Since the 50s, everything and everybody has either exploded or just died. And uh, when he's referring to the underground, he's referring to the Paris Underground, which is the uh, group of uh, freedom fighters that based the entire, during the uh, World War II, that were the justification for the idea of naming the underground movement in America the underground. So a very cool survey of going through uh, Paris and just sort of having some observations. So John uh, wanders around uh, Paris in this uh, issue number six of Other Scenes. Paper, paper and my fault. Oh gosh, egg on me. This uh, rumination on Paris is not written by John. I feel uh, misprepared there. It's actually written by Jean-Jacques Lebel. And it says so right there at the end of it. And interesting thing about him. I am prepared to tell you about him, though. He is uh, one of the uh, people in the John Wilcock comic when John is visiting Jim Haynes' uh, home in, uh, in France. And Jean-Jacques Lebel was described as sort of like a prankster of that time. And he went to a flea market with John and bought an American flag and very promptly asked John for a lighter. And John gave him a lighter not knowing it, the intention, he says. And I understand John's protection of this. I'll get to that in a moment. But Jean-Jacques Lebel then takes the, uh, the lighter and ignites an American flag, and a news reporter is right there and gets a picture of the American flag burning. This is during the mid-60s, when American protests over Vietnam are pretty, pretty present, and it becomes a front-page picture of an American flag on fire, and it's the first time the American flag has been on a front page burning and it's just a novelty flag it's uh it's not like an actual you know big flag but the symbolism of it is rather difficult to over uh you know to overlook and you know john wasn't an american citizen and so he's always sort of indicated you know well i gave him the, the letter but i didn't know what was going to happen with that I, i'm sure he did but that shows you just for somebody who is <laughs> sort of purposefully against authority. 
So, I mean, I love the fact that he wrote the, that he just published the Village Voice stationary letter to him, uh, telling him to fuck off. But for him to hold the stance right up into his death that, like, he didn't even know uh, that he was uh, participating as a, uh, you know, an assistant to the uh, the crime of uh, burning a flag, although it was in Paris, shows you how serious people used to be about that thing. And, and so he even knows his limit. He even knows his limits, and that's why he doesn't... I think he just sort of adopted this, like, I didn't know anything to do with it. I had nothing, I just gave him the lighter. He wanted to take credit for taking it for giving the lighter. But the American flag and the precious regard we have for it, you know, another example is Abby Hoffman got prosecuted for wearing an American flag button-up shirt, a, a button-up shirt made out of an American flag. Obviously, now you can buy American flag underwear, you know, and uh, stain it. And, nobody, and you won't go to jail. But at the time, just turning it into a t-shirt was a crime. Crazy people get. Yeah, so this is the paper that follows other scenes issue number five, which was the Hunter S. Thompson issue. And so we're sort of, we're back on newsprint and we're becoming more of a cool looking paper. In terms of, uh, in terms of funny words, we have some momentous monuments and it's, uh, a survey of mini monuments, weird copper balls, and other things across the city. <laughs> across the, in London. So now we're in London. We were in Amsterdam on page two. Page three, we're in London. And we got the Thames Ball. Thames. Uh, or the, the Fallen Hat Monument. The Fag Ends Monuments. That's a, a bunch of words, isn't it? The Knees Monument, the Park Avenue Balls, some other things. And that's Klaus Oldenburg who wrote about that, who, by the way, is another one of those top-ranking artists. So so this is where these things get kind of funny, is that now we have other uh, scenes, a tiny little uh, four-page issue, but it's a suddenly a Klaus Oldenburg piece. And so people who collect these things kind of tend to covet them because that's a pretty rare piece where Klaus Oldenburg wrote. The issue ends with a rumination on uh, police traffic <laughs> while driving through America. And it states, it is almost impossible to drive across America today without at some point having to cope with those latter-day highwaymen, the state traffic cops. And the way they operate is an unusually clear insight into the corruption and cynicism that exists at every level of this country's political structure. I think that's still pretty topical and true. So check that one out. That is the end of issue number six, which was written, printed, and published in New York, May 1967. We'll be back uh, next episode with four more issues of Other Scenes to discuss. You can visit the Other Scenes archive for all the visuals and PDFs that go along with this report at ep.tc or www.ep.tc slash Other Scenes. And we'll talk to you next episode. We'll conclude now with part 41 of the recovery of Charlie Pickle. We have Ben at the Blue Eagle Bar. Thank you. Have a good afternoon.